On this episode of How'd You Get Here, we talk with the Deputy Mayor of Denver, Murphy Robinson III. It's a fantastic story of hard work, dedication, and perseverance. I know you're going to enjoy it. Murphy's a very outgoing and great guy. So here you go. Give us a little bit, uh, you know, background story about hmm. you know how you grew up, you know, what your parents were like. You know, sure. kind of just share a little bit of, about that. You know, sure. So, so um, I think you covered it. Grew up here in Colorado. Um, I am fortunate to have wonderful parents, probably the best parents you could ever ask they're for. They're listening right now. I'll, I'll give them the link. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're just, they were so great. And um, my parents, you know, they, they met, uh, my mom worked for public service as an engineer, and my dad um, was a Vietnam vet. Um, and when he got back from Vietnam, was a car salesman. And you asked me today, mm-hmm. could I ever picture my dad as a car salesman? I said, absolutely not. Matter of fact, if you asked my dad today, if you could ever picture himself as a car salesman, he'd say, I can't believe I did that, right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, and that's how they met. They met when my mom used to walk to work on the bus. And she used to get off uh, of the bus or get on the bus, I'm not sure which one, uh, right by his by his dealership and he watched her every day like kind of like a creeper right <laughs> but uh, <laughs> watched her every day and um they met that way so long story short is uh got married and of course they had my, myself and my twin i have a oh, twin sister that's interesting fact yeah so um but we grew up in a household um very rich with love very uh strict <laughs> okay. but very uh focused on a few things uh focused on god uh, my mom specifically um, was huge, a huge participator, uh, which made us huge participants in the church, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know grew up with that family. I can talk a little bit about that a little later, but also um, just hardcore about education and hardcore about. Uh, my parents were very specific about making sure we had a plethora of diverse experiences, mm. and so um, yeah, uh, so yeah, we. Uh, played lots of instruments growing up we traveled a whole lot like Um, for vacation and stuff like that yeah so um uh my mom later on in my life and well i'd say middle school and high school worked for the airlines oh she Um, got like inexpensive travel uh yeah we got free travel (laughs) and so the perks no we were able to and we were not a rich family growing up by Mm. any means uh but i we weren't poor and i never felt uh, like I needed anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my parents took care of us that way. But my dad, my mom worked for the airlines, uh, also for public service, but also and my dad um, worked for uh, the post office and retired from the post office oh, recently wow. after about 30 some years of service. So oh, that's awesome. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so pretty just middle class family, middle both, class, both normal parents worked yep. and yep. You guys went to school. Did you have any hobbies or things like that when you were younger? Like, you know, Good question. I, you know, I played a lot of instruments. I was okay. huge into music. Okay. Uh, drummer for my church, uh, played the piano. Um, I actually picked up every instrument you can probably think of um, during middle school and high school years. But um, So that kind of enveloped, like you, you focused a lot on that when you were younger. Just I did. playing music, being in the I church did. music. And my, my mom stuff. was the director of the church choir. Oh, okay. Matter of fact, she... So you were on the choir too? I was in the choir, yeah. um, played music instruments for the mainly for the worship team in the choir back then. But, uh, you know, I mainly, uh, yeah, I, we were so involved with that stuff. My mom was the director for the church choir. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, we... Uh, 
uh, did a lot. I can't even pick up on a, a hobby that I would have done. But I, you know, there's I was involved in airplanes. I loved airplanes. Right. I still love airplanes. Nice. You know, yeah. um, so you know, always doing research on that and seeing. But we spent a lot of family time together. Really? Yeah. A lot of family time. Spent a lot of time with my grandparents, my grandma, um, my aunt, who was um, a school teacher. She was our, uh, she was a retired school teacher. She was kind of the person who helped raise us when we were younger, when our parents were at work. Mm. Um, my dad worked his whole career um, nights, so he oh, slept okay. during the day. And, uh, um, and so my aunt uh, raised us at our younger years, um, and she passed. And then my grandma kind of took over and then continued to help raise us. And I, when I say raise us, really just during the day, you know, yeah. teaching us things, uh, everything from multiplication to uh, vowels. And, you know, when, yeah. this is when I, we were in kindergarten right, and right, such, really you know. Little, yeah. Exactly. So I would say, you know, the in terms of growing up, it was truly a family affair, um, and it was truly a community. I uh, can't pinpoint even just one set of people other than my parents who had uh, just the most influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I might say it was a community of influence. Yeah, Everywhere from the church folks who I still love and see as family to my neighbors who my parents are actually going on trips with to, yeah. to even today. Oh, wow. um, and kind of just shows you the culture we grew up in, just yeah. a big happy family. Yeah. So, uh, w- what were you like? Were you, you know, were you kind of nerdy, or were you like cool, or? Well, depends on what time <laughs> in my life you're talking about. Um, you know, it was so funny because I look at pictures of myself back then. Middle school, I was a kid with high waters that uh, <laughs> uh, you would never uh, guess was trying to be cool. Uh, <laughs> But well, high school, we all in middle school. High school, I went to a um, private school. Mm. My parents decided to put my sister and I in a private school um, and transition our education uh, after middle school, wow. which is one of the best decisions they've ever made and the most sacrifice that they've ever made. Yeah, I'm sure made. it's not cheap to send uh, your kid. No. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not sure they'd want me to share this, but <laughs> right. they sacrificed their retirement so that they could oh, wow. that we could have an education. Wow, you know, so um, and I'm very grateful for that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was an experience, and uh, I I tried to, I believe, I tried to con- keep my culture a little bit and the culture that I knew as a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm multiracial. Most folks uh, don't know that by looking at me, but I'm, mm. I'm half Panamanian. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but, uh, uh, tried to keep some of that culture going to an all white school. Uh, and yeah. so I, it's funny. You look at some of the pictures and I, you know, I used to wear South Pole and FUBU and those things. And yeah. that's totally not my style now, <laughs> right. but uh, yeah, back then <laughs> it's, it's so funny to yeah. see this little skinny kid, Wearing some of that stuff, so, so wow, so were you were a minority then in your school? Oh, heavily. You were. It was probably especially private school. Mm-hmm. So there's probably not a. There's a handful of us. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what was that like? I mean, did you, did you were you a mm. part of like were you bullied at all or how did you feel mm. like what did that or did you even Good think question. about it? Good question. So I would say. Um, Southwest Denver in, in general was not known as the black area, right? And so we, I grew up in an area where um, I was always a min- minority. But um, there were some uh, learning experiences that I had um, going from um, 
going from public school to private. Now, I'll mention uh, that uh, didn't start there. I've had prejudicial issues happen to me ever since kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, when I was in fifth grade, actually, I uh, had to go to counseling for this um, when I was in college because I didn't know how much it affected me. Um, But uh, uh, I remember when my in fifth grade, going all the way back there for a second, uh, I uh, my teacher was doing an activity and uh, told us to pair up and she was pairing everybody and I was left alone and uh, mm. I told her I don't have a pair uh, Mrs. Pearson and uh, she's <laughs> and uh, she and I should mention that she was a substitute my mm. teacher was out on maternity leave oh, okay. and so long story short is uh, we ended up uh, she told me that uh, I didn't deserve a pair and that if I wanted to pair up with somebody for this activity I should probably call my daddy so that's what I did. I called my dad, and he came up, and he was my partner for that activity. Oh and then gosh. we went to the principal's office. That young, uh, that not young lady, but that lady ended up being dismissed from DPS. Mm. Um, and but uh, I didn't realize she had told all the kids in my class that they didn't need to play with me because I'm black. And yes. I suffered that year. I wow. suffered heavily that year. And so. Um, it was hard, and I didn't realize until college that it was so hard, you know, because right. I, I think I buried it. Yeah. And so, but with that said, all that leading up to CA, CA was a wonderful. It was a wonderful experience, and it taught me how to learn. Uh, but my first day in CA, uh, the famous story is uh, new school, new environment, atmosphere. Uh, first day, I had a young kid, because it's a K-12 mm-hmm. school, not knowing what she was saying, I think she was probably in fourth grade, something like that, came up to me and said, my mommy told me not to play with your kind. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was my first day of oh high school. Oh, my gosh. And I went home and cried. Yeah. And I told my mom, and I was like, they just don't want me. And, and you know, Man, my parents, so hard, though, man. were the best parents because my mom said, you know what? Welcome to the world. You know, <laughs> this is. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is the world we live in. And, uh. I thank God for those experiences because those experiences have molded me and they've taught me that you don't listen to what the world is saying about yourself. You just know yourself Mm. and you depend on God to help mold that. And so with all that said, um, that's one of many, many stories, uh, uh, those type Mm. of things happening in high school. But um, those experiences help mold you. And, And I see them not as a a mechanism to get mad, but I see them as a mechanism to teach and educate. Wow. That's super powerful, man. I, I got chills over here. Like, <laughs> I mean, I almost want to like cry right now yeah, because cry, it's dude. like, <laughs> I did enough of that in high school. I know, so you're but good. It's, that's like, you, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you don't think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a privileged white person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't think, cause you know, you're my friend and I don't mm-hmm. think about like those kind of, I don't even think about that. Just my friend, you're Murphy. Absolutely, you know. Mm-hmm. And so to think, like, oh man, like that you had to experience some of those things, mm-hmm. or you know, go through those things, um, is just it's super sad because you think, you you, you want to think like, man, Colorado, yeah, it's you know the '90s or 2000s, and like, mm-hmm. aren't we better than this? You know? Yeah, you know. Absolutely. And so it's like it's 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 really foreign. And but I, what I think is really powerful and amazing is that. You never let those things define who you were. That's right. And that you, despite the repression or despite, you know, those roadblocks, 
that you just continued to be the best person that you could be mm -hmm. and then not use those as an excuse or a crutch to hold you back or, you know, that's um, the key. You yeah. if you let it if you let it get to you so much that you let it define you or you let it decide how you're going to react, mm. then it's got you. Yeah, there's never a word or a phrase that someone can say to me that's going to guide my reaction. Yeah. Um, what it is is going to do for me is show me that someone needs some education. Right. And that by the end of the conversation, mm. I hope that they're one of my best friends. I've talked to guys who are in the Ku Klux Klan. Wow. Um, I dated a girl. <laughs> dated a girl in high school. Uh, not a lot of people know this, but I dated a girl in high school, as much as you can date in high school, right? right. Um, that brought me to her parents' house. Um, and during that time, her uncle came over as well uh, for dinner. And they didn't know that her uncle was part of the clan. And uh, he wasn't happy, let's just say, that I was present. Guess who's coming to dinner? That's exactly right. <laughs> On steroids. So he used a few choice words and told me to get out the house. Um, everybody went crying and all this other stuff. Yeah. And I decided to stay at the table. I said, I'm going to leave, but before I do that, can I talk to you? And I'm a high schooler, right? Right, wow. In South Pole. <laughs> My, my yeah, get up, yeah. right? Food and food. Uh, uh, and uh, and we sat and we had a conversation. Wow. Um, I just wanted to understand where he was coming from because I'd never met somebody right. that liked that. Yeah. Um, and first he was real vulgar, mean. Yeah, I didn't tell my parents about it at that time, right? Because I didn't want them to get mad. Yeah. Um, but uh, we had a conversation, and it was just us, me mm. and him, sitting at the table. And I'm like, tell me what your experiences are that led you there. And it turned out he was just taught that way. Right. And his dad was a secret Klansman. And so he's um, just racist. the mom, who mm. was the daughter's or my ex's, or I guess my, yeah, your the girlfriend's. Girlfriend yeah. From high school. Uh, she was the girlfriend for like two weeks. So, was, you know, I don't <laughs> yeah. know if you can call her girlfriend. Right. But um, yeah, she was oblivious. She had no clue. Oh, and wow. so, um, long story short, as we got up, after that conversation, he shook my hand. Wow. And I, from that moment on, I said, ooh, I can affect change here. And um, I think that helps me solidify that it's not just, people aren't just rude or mean or uh, belittling just to be that way. Right. It's either taught or there's a traumatic experience that's happened, right? Right. And a lot of times it's taught or it's ignorance. Yeah. Uh, they're ignorant to what's actually going on. So. Um, wow. If we can, as people, get past those biases, mm -hmm. um, then we can really get down to the heart of what's actually going on and then just move past it. Move yeah. on. Dude, this is so good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't even know we were going to go here in this yeah. conversation. I didn't either. Yeah. Not <laughs> well, one like, Yeah, man. Dude, this is so good. Oh, awesome. man. <laughs> okay. So you're in high school. Mm -hmm. you're, you're overcoming, you know, some challenges, you know, socially, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about what I want to do with my life. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so at this point, what, what do you, what are you thinking as far as college goes and things like hmm. that? In high school. So junior, senior year, I'm guessing you're thinking is, um, yeah. so it's at my alma mater. You really focus in on college. You focus in on what college you're going to go to and what scholarships you're going to get. Mm -hmm. So, I wasn't sure. And I knew that, um, somewhere along the line, I wanted to be a police officer. But I also knew that I was very good at this music thing. Mm. And by that time, I had written my first symphony um, and um, knew that I wanted to stay in music somehow. 
And so I decided to... So wait, hold on real quick. You said that you wanted to be a police officer? I did. Oh, interesting. So all my life. Okay, so that was like one of those like childhood dreams. Childhood dream. That you're like, I'm going to be a police officer someday. That's exactly right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right, sorry to interrupt you, but I thought that was... uh, (laughs) Absolutely. So I, yeah, from... So those are kind of your two paths that you kind of decided, like music or law enforcement? Music or law enforcement um, and or, or both. Yeah. Um, And so, um, yeah. I uh, was applying to schools. I applied to 14 different schools. And during that time, uh, I uh, (laughs) uh, met someone who uh, ended up being a huge mentor to me um, who knew about a school named Xavier University um, and happened to be one of the top schools on my list. Um, And so long story short is I went out to visit Xavier. I had an aunt out there. Um, who happens to be the first black woman rabbi in the world. Um, and she was oh. in rabbinical school out in Cincinnati at that time. So we went to visit her and look at Xavier. Love Xavier. And we came back. And uh, uh, during Grandparents Day, this guy who ended up being my lifetime mentor, who is still my mentor to today, um, business owner in Denver and just influential gentleman, also was on the board for Xavier University. Interesting. And we we're sitting there at Grandparents Day. He says, oh, what school are you planning on going to? And I said, uh, Xavier University. He's like, oh, no way. He gets all excited. Long story short, he flies me out there, um, see it again. I fall in love with it. And I said, that's my top school. Wow. So um, applied there. For music. For music. Okay. Got into the music program. Okay. Um, first off, I have to say, went there. I loved college. Really? <laughs> I loved college. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's it was so You think so back on college with fond oh, memories. So great. Nice. It was so great. But went to the music program. Uh, first couple classes, I was like, okay. Mm, <laughs> I'm not sure this is for me. Yeah. Um, and so I started to explore a little bit more on um, kind of what I wanted to do. And I knew that the police thing was always, it was at least a goal I needed to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So I uh, went ahead and uh, scheduled a meeting with the police chief of Xavier University. Uh, we had our campus police department. Oh, yeah. And uh, I went to the police department and I uh, talked to the chief and I said, Chief, I want to become a police officer. And he said, okay, that's great. I got a few years. And I said, no, chief, I want to become a police officer now. And he said, oh, you got a few years. Why don't you, why don't you wait? Simmer down. Yeah, simmer down now. <laughs> And I told him, I said, well, what would it take? And he said, well, you need to get some permissions from the law and whatnot, and uh, you'd have to really convince me. So I did. I wrote letters. I uh, got the permissions that he was talking about. And uh, um, long story short, he took a liking to me and said, well, Murphy, if you're serious about this, I'll swear you in after you complete the academy. So he allowed me to be sworn in uh, as a police officer at 19 years old. Holy smokes. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Hence my young start to my career. Seriously. So right at, so did you finish college? No. So I was a uh, sophomore Uh uh, when I was sworn in as a cadet. Okay. The end of sophomore year. Started started my police academy junior year. So what I did is I called my parents. I said, I'm going to become a police officer. They said no. And I said, said, I'm going to become a police officer. They said, "Mm mm-hmm. Well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so... And you're like, no, um, no, really. Yeah, no, but for real. Uh, and uh, what I did, I made a deal with them uh, because, you know, my parents are very hardcore on uh, education right. and making sure that we don't veer from the path uh, in which we agreed to in terms of yeah. getting our education. So I said, 
if you agree to this and, you know, my dedication to you is that from here on out, you will never have to pay a dollar for me ever again. Um, the other piece of this is that I agree that if I do this, I will still graduate on time. And so um, what I did was I took off a semester, mm-hmm. um, but I um, found a program where the police academy actually was 24 credit hours towards my degree. So I actually didn't have to take any electives because I was becoming a police officer. So it worked out, thank God. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I, uh, yeah, so junior year, went to the police academy. I prepared for it for an entire summer, running every day. Actually, I did three times a day running. Wow. I only ate vegetables and meat. Um, Real healthy. That's it. Um, and water. And uh, for a good eight months, uh, that's it. And my roommates thought I was crazy. And uh, three times a day of running, I'll repeat that again. That was really hard. <laughs> it really stands yeah. out. As yeah, and, uh, and um, finally, police department or the police academy came, and I had to work and go to the police academy at the same time, which it sounds hard, uh, but for a young kid that doesn't know any better, it wasn't that bad. Um, but there's people out there now to this day doing that. Hmm. They are uh, working with kids, and I don't know how they do that. Um, and going to the police academy. So what I do is we'd have to report to the academy like seven o'clock, and so I'd um, I'd wake up, go to the academy, uh, stay there till about five thirty six, mm-hmm. report, uh, leave there, drive to Kentucky um, from Cincinnati, <clears throat> and I would go to work, and I work as a security guard at uh, Newport on the levee, and then I uh, would work there from seven to about two in the morning and then i'd leave there get home about three sleep from three to about five do my homework for academy from five to about six and then go back wow and so that was my life for eight months um and i was happy as a lark because i got to become a cop so uh, wow yeah okay so then did you ever end up going back to finishing school like to get your degree oh yeah so no as soon as i was done um with the police academy, I got sworn in, and I started working as a police officer. Okay. And then I start my classes back. Oh, and wow. so I did uh, full-time school, 18 credit hours, and full-time police officer uh, for the uh, Xavier University Police Department wow. um, for about a year. Wow. So until I graduated. So, um, But the 24 hours of credit hours helped me a lot. But, yeah, I graduated on time. Dang! Mm-hmm. Wow. So I mean, I promised my parents I would. So. You're not averse to hard work. <laughs> no, not one bit. <laughs> I believe I, I I thrive in that stuff. <laughs> All right. So then you kind of have your career laid out as far as you know after school. You, once you graduate, what was your mm-hmm. degree in? Criminal justice. Oh, okay. Um, and a little bit of public relations too. Okay. So um, you got your degree, and mm-hmm. then you're just a police officer. That's right, in so Cincinnati. In Cincinnati. Okay, and so then you were you a police officer for Xavier University yep. then the whole time you were there? So I was a cop in, for Cincinnati State PD um, okay. and Xavier, uh, okay. part-time for Cincinnati State right off the bat, and then I transitioned to be full-time with Xavier PD, and that's what, yeah. Interesting. Yep. Okay. So now you're there. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing that thing. Loving it. Loving it. Mm-hmm. Living your dream. Until I didn't. Officer. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, yeah, talk to your transition, because after you were a police officer, you slowly started getting into, um, you know, public service and, and uh, through, like, city governments and stuff, Yeah, right? so we can talk. That's, that's a long ways from where we're at, actually. Yeah, okay, so 
Yeah, so keep, what happened? Keep us on the trail. Sure. So where what happened was I was enjoying the mess out of being a cop, but then one day I woke up and realized all my friends left because they all graduated with me, mm. <laughs> and I had no family. My aunt moved away, and so I had no family in Cincinnati. And if you know anything about Cincinnati during that time, it was a very, very, very violent city. Mm. And I was dealing with that, even as a university cop, um, constantly. And it's not something that you should deal, have to deal with or you should deal with um, at that age uh, yeah. by yourself. Uh, as There was a lot of racial stuff going on, too. Mm. As a, Cincinnati was a very racial city and it was very divided. And I didn't grow up that way. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't grow up in a place where the black people stay where they're at and the white people stay where they're at. And uh, so that was a culture shock for me. And so I woke up one day and I said, uh, why am I still in Cincinnati? <laughs> and so one thing I didn't mention is through that entire process, <laughs> after I graduated the police academy, I actually started my own company um, okay. called Robinson Corporation's Protective Services Division. And we used to do some executive security and uh, did some... Uh, a variety of different things um, in the security world. And so I was. it was a hard decision. Do I stay here, develop my company? It was starting to boom, yeah. starting to take off a little bit, um, as much as it could take off with a 22-year-old, right? Right. Um, but uh, it was so there, but also um, I said I really miss my family. Hmm. And so I wonder, can my certification transfer? And it could. So um, within a couple months... I was out. Wow. I uh, resigned with my chief. He tried to get me to stay. Um, but so very supportive. Um, and I transferred my certification to Colorado. Wow. And then you became a Colorado police officer then? I did. So um, uh, tested out of the process there. And then I was fortunate enough to get a position with the Brighton Police Department where I was a patrol officer. Wow. So you've always kind of had dreams of just bigger and better and more things i mean mm -hmm. i think you know 22 you're living your dream job being a police officer mm -hmm. uh and then at the same time you're thinking well, i'm gonna start a company mm -hmm. and you know go down that entrepreneurial path and, that's right you know i mean just hustling constantly that's right constant hustle <laughs> i like that that should be the next gig constant hustle constant hustle .com. Um, wow. Okay. So then you moved here to Colorado as mm -hmm. a police officer mm -hmm. and then you started doing patrol stuff and had, had you met your wife at this point? Oh no. Cause you are a father and a, uh, <laughs> a husband as well. That's exactly yeah. right. Um, so yeah, I did meet my wife actually, um, a couple years into being a cop in Brighton. Okay. Uh, we, our parents knew each other, oh, our, our moms, okay. um, through business kind of networking and. Uh, we first met while we were in college at a barbecue, but we weren't thinking about even dating right. or anything then. But saw her again. We kind of had a similar story. She uh, <laughs> she was looking for a job. I was looking for a job when we both got back here, and uh, we were both in transition. And funny thing is I asked for her number um, and uh, with the auspices of, oh, our families can hang out. And then I said, hey, I'd like to take you to dinner. I called her and let her know or text her and let her know I wouldn't take her dinner. I didn't get anything back. Hmm. So uh, I told her mom. <laughs> like, hey, she's that exactly. calling me. Exactly. And her mom's like, he's a good guy. You should talk to her. Talk to him. And anyway, long story short, yeah, so we started to uh, talk a little bit there. So. Okay. Nice. All right. So then you're a police officer mm -hmm. looking to find love, mm -hmm. starting on that path. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what brought you to public service or uh, city management? City management. Yeah. So, um, it was a cold and stormy evening. <laughs> it was frosty. It was day in October. It, it was. So it was actually in November or no December maybe, um, and it was snowing. It was rough out there because it was so cold, mm-hmm. and there was nothing going on. Mm-hmm. I was in my patrol car in a parking lot, as you probably have seen a police officer before, uh, at 3 in the morning because I was on graveyard shift uh. Uh, with n- absolutely nothing going on. We call it radio silence. Nothing. The radio, uh, you, every once in a while you hit the radio to make sure it's working because <laughs> it's silent. <laughs> yeah. And so I, sa- so I took that opportunity to say, okay, what am I doing? Hmm. And that same mentor I told you about uh, for uh, that helped me through and in Xavier that had those uh, ties to Xavier always told me Murphy you know you gotta you gotta figure it out you're not gonna be a cop all your life you know you got more than that and and so I really started to think about that and I said you know as a cop I arrest the same people all the time we're seeing the same type of crimes all that kind of stuff and I need to affect policy um, because I'm not affecting the change I wanted to affect as a police officer um and so I had one question. I said, okay, who actually runs the government? <laughs> You're like, wait a second. I'm, I'm not making so much That's change. right. Who, who's in yeah. charge? Who's actually in charge here? So one of my buddies, Underwood, he's still there today, I believe. He uh, pulled up next to me, and I said to him, I said, dude, do you know who actually runs the government? Who's the chief's boss? <laughs> right. And he's like, I don't know, Murphy. Why you? <laughs> and then he kind of rolled away, you know? Yeah. Like, ah. And so I got on my phone, and I Googled. Who is the chief of police's boss? And it popped up, city manager. And I said, huh. So all night, um, not all night, for those who wonder what police officers do in their cars by themselves. But uh, for the next 30, 45 minutes, I was researching what is a city manager? Who do they report to? How do they do business? How do they get hired? What is the, you know, the life cycle of that position? Yeah. And it seems really really interesting because I had no clue um, that my chief had a boss to Mm. be honest with you so the next day I stayed up I stayed up till about 11 o'clock to give them time to get in the office and all that kind of stuff and I decided to call our city manager because I googled who was Brighton's city manager his name was Manuel Esquibel happened to be the only Hispanic city manager in the state really Uh uh-huh interesting uh, and that's important because there's not that many uh, minorities in city management. Mm. And so, especially in Colorado. So with that said, um, I uh, went ahead and I called his office. And I said, hi, Mr. Escabel. This is Murphy Robinson. I left a message. This is Murphy Robinson. Uh, I'm a police officer in your city, and I would like to meet with you. Just like that. That's it. And so I see a running theme here. Yeah, you're like, I want to be a police officer. Hey, who's who's? I I want that job. That's exactly right. You're like going out and getting it. That's exactly right. (laughs) So, but it didn't happen that in osmosis like that though, because I then got called into my chief's office that very next day, Hmm. and the chief said, "Why did you call the city manager?" He thought, and I said, "I said, well, sir, uh, (laughs) it's not to talk about anything about the police department." He said, "Well, I don't understand why you call my boss." And I said, well, uh, you know, Clint Blackhurst was the chief at the time. He said, uh, I said, uh, chief, no disrespect. I said, but you know I'm not going to be a cop all my life. And 
uh, I was looking into what it took to become a city manager, and I'd like to talk to him about that and his journey. And he said, oh, okay, cool. Go ahead. Yeah. I'll tell him that it's good to go. And so he did. So I had, the next couple of weeks, I had a meeting with him and got introduced. Wow. And uh, that is a long story. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he uh, um, was a good guy. Um, he gave me an opportunity. He, what he did was we met once a month for about a year. And every time he would give me an assignment. He would uh, say, you know, Murphy, I need you to read a book this time and let me know what you think. So I'd read the book and I'd write a book report and I'd give it to him. Really? Mm-hmm. And um, is that is everything? Good? Um, so then uh, so then he uh, uh, would say, read these ethics laws or whatever it is. Yeah. And so he did that for a year. Once a month we'd met and um, I would always deliver. And then he finally said, okay, you seem pretty serious about this young man. And then we got to know each other. Mm. You seem pretty serious about this. So if you're serious about this, you cannot be a city manager without getting your master's degree. I said, oh, cool. So um, I went and got my master's degree. Within two, oh, weeks of that, within two weeks of that conversation, I was enrolled. And I talked to the late and great Dr. Catherine Cheever. And uh, she was telling me that, oh, Murphy, well, you only have about a week or so before we close it, the deadlines and all this. And the, the timing just happened. God wow. bless. Yeah. Just happened to line up because uh, I begged the rest of Dr. Cheever. I said, whatever I have to do, I got to get in the program. Hmm. And she said, well, fill out the stuff, you know, and we right. have your interviews. We did the interviews and I got in. Wow. Um, and thanks to my wife and my sister and all the folks that pushed me because there was a time during that process I was like I don't know if this is the right time and they're like oh you're gonna do it you know yeah <laughs> so um, you know from there Mark um, it was interesting so um, after I got into the program Maine was very impressed and surprised he said that there's a lot of people who say they want to be city managers but don't follow through hmm. and so he said you know if you do this um, then you can, I will offer you a paid internship with my office and train you how to be a city manager. Uh, but you have to get straight A's and B's in your, mostly A's. Yeah. Straight A's, mostly A's. A uh, few B's are okay, but I need mm. you to get mostly A's in your program and then show me your transcript and then we can go from there. So I did. Wow. And uh, he offered me a paid internship. This sounds like a Disney movie or something, you yeah, know? Yeah, maybe Pixar. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you. Was it Pixar? Uh, Oh wow, this is this is just fantastic. I mean, it's like you going for something that you want, mm -hmm. and then putting in the friggin' work. Mm -hmm. It's like someone says, "Do this, done, mm -hmm. doing it." So, where do you think that drive came from? I um, mean, because you know, I could see it be hmm. oh, I got to read all these books, or never mind, I'm just gonna stay a cop. Just mm -hmm. easier for me to like mm -hmm. clock in. I mean, where do you think that? that drive and that like motivation came from. So part of it, and I would love to say all of it, but it's not all of it. Part of it is that's how God made me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, part of it is just ingrained in me that I, I can't stay stagnant. I can't yeah. be just do the same thing all the time. Content with the status quo. That's exactly right. You yeah. said it best. Uh, but other, the other piece of it is how I was raised. That's mm -hmm. how my parents are. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom is hardcore driven. Uh, my dad likes routine, so, you yeah. know, he's 30, years, 30 post years post office, you know, that kind of thing. But he also um, has high expectations. Mm -hmm. 
um, and they've made sacrifices. And so, you know, one thing that's always been in my head, always, um, I think, as far as I can remember back at least, is that I will never or I will attempt to not make their sacrifices go in vain. You know, there's things they could have done to even be happier or uh, not spend as much money or whatever it is on my sister and I. But they chose to allow us to have what they didn't have growing up. Both of my parents were not middle class growing up. They were in the poor areas. I mean, my grandma and my mom's side wasn't necessarily poor, but they weren't rich by right. any means. My dad was. I mean, they grew up. Uh, yeah, Panama. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting hearing some of my dad's stories, but and so they sacrificed so that we could have what they didn't, and so I wouldn't want that to go in vain because I watched that mm. occur. I watched that process of them making sure we had what other kids didn't, mm. um, and I, I, the kids around me, none of the kids around me um, that I grew up with were fortunate enough to have the parents who not only provided us with the path, but also made sure that we stayed that path. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what's missing a lot in today's society is the accountability to your kids. So you mm -hmm. can be accountable all you want to society, but not only are you accountable to your kids, but you make your kids accountable as well. Hmm. Wow. So then after that long journey, getting your master's degrees, yeah. you got all A's and B's. Yeah. You Oof, know, yeah. Mostly A's. Yeah. And then you got that... That Paid job. internship. So that same mentor I told you about um, during that time, he's proud of me that I got out of policing. He said, good, finally. <laughs> yeah. And he said, uh, all right, Murphy, so the one thing you need to learn about the corporate world is uh, wherever you work, you need to make sure they can't live without you hmm. because then you'll set your own path. So that's been my mantra ever since. Hmm. Wherever I'm at, I make sure they can't live without me and that I am a force to be reckoned with in that organization. Hmm. So I said, how can an intern do that, right? <laughs> right? That only has police experience and is only in his 20s, right? Yeah. Um, so what I did is I immersed myself in every single department in that city. Hmm. The good thing about being a city manager is you're the chief executive officer of the city hmm. um, in a city manager form of government. And so he allowed me to kind of just write my own ticket. What I, what I did was I developed, so what I didn't tell you is the other piece of me getting that internship is he made me write a grant oh, uh, wow. to pay for my own job. Hmm. So half of it was paid by the city, half of it was paid by the state. And he said, if you want this, you'll write your first grant. And so I took, I read a book on grant writing <laughs> and I wrote my first grant to pay for myself. Oh my and gosh. so it was, uh, it was a $40,000 grant to the state to the Department of Local Affairs uh, to pay for my salary. Wow. Uh, and so they paid half, uh, and that was, that included, so I only get, got paid 25 of that, right? Right. Um, and then the other half of that um, got was my uh, was paid for by the city, right. and that included, like, benefits and all that type right, of stuff. Right. So, wow. So, yeah, so um, uh, I don't know where I went off on my tangent there, but uh, – <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it just kind of uh, allowed me to immerse myself in all the departments, learn about each of the departments and what they do. Mm -hmm. I learned from thing, things about development and economic development and uh, health and safety and building code and uh, you name it. Police department administration, which I had never realized went so deep right. into you know, fire department administration. Mm -hmm. Everything you can think about to run a city. And so, yeah. Wow. So, so, so now you're an intern. 
Mm-hmm. And then how how old were you at this point? Twenty six. Twenty six. So you went from twenty six college or twenty five or twenty six. Twenty five, yeah. twenty six. Mm-hmm. And then from there, mm-hmm. just kind of skyrocketed, right? I mean, yeah. once people got a taste of the the Murphy, <laughs> it was like, holy smokes, we want this guy. So let me tell you, everywhere it wasn't that easy. <laughs> but uh, so what happened was, I had to find my niche and I had to figure out what could make me a marketable candidate for mm-hmm. the rest of the cities, right? Um, and um, use kind of my young energy as the catalyst for that change right Mm -hmm. and catalyst for being marketable so um what i did was i learned about organizational change i learned about operations and so um one thing that desperately needed needed to be done in brighton was a lot of organizational change a lot of figuring out what the organization needed so i helped uh manual actually pretty much did it myself with reorg um, like three or four departments. Hmm. And I helped a wonderful lady named, by the name of Karen Bukowski um, with her. She was the HR director, kind of strategizing how should we make these changes while uh, make, making sure we're not upsetting the apple cart. And so that kind of helped me make a name for myself mm-hmm. because I was able to successfully communicate to all 500 staff how we were going to do it, why it was important, all those mm. things. And then one thing that uh, was recognized was that there was a void in uh, sustainability programming mm. and all of our sustainability infrastructure. And so that I said, oh, here it is. This is my this is my chance. And I had a guy who I still consider a friend, mentor, and colleague today named Marv Falkenberg, who was the assistant city manager for development, who was all about sustainability. Mm. But no one had the time or the energy to take that on especially with a bunch of farmers and oil and gas folks. And, you know, so I created um, Brighton Sustainable, uh, branded it um, and created the Office of Sustainability in the city of Brighton Mm. and uh, created this this entity that allowed for uh, all those folks I just mentioned, all the stakeholders to put their fingerprints on it and take a part in it. And we were finalists in the Georgetown University Energy Prize. That's actually the mechanism I used, the vehicle I used to get everybody excited about it. It was a $5 million prize that a city would win if they had good sustainability programs. And so everybody won a piece of that $5 million. So kind of got there. We actually even got invited to the White House um, and uh, for the kickoff and all these things. And it was just a fun time. But that was kind of my claim to fame in Adams County Mm. was uh, the – the Brighton Sustainable Organization and Infrastructure. Wow. So from Brighton, what was what did your final title? What was your final title there? So I created that as an intern and uh, was promoted to assistant city manager of general services. Wow. And I had um, a plethora of different things like facilities and, and so the sustainability programming and executive team and all those things. But um, yeah, that was that was my Wow. Title. So I promoted from city manager to um, assistant city manager, which is not common. Usually it's uh, from intern, you go about seven levels of management, like right. management uh, management analyst one, two, and three, and then you know, assistant right. two and all these things. But I was fortunate enough to kind of jump to all those. Wow. 
And then you kind of continued on your career. You worked for another city after that. That's right. Kind of so, in a similar, similar space, but a lot bigger. Absolutely. So there was some things going on in Brighton that I didn't necessarily ethically agree with. And so, um, but it didn't make me jump ship right away. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, this is how I, how God works, as you as the listeners can probably tell. I'm a believer, and so, um, you know, I was really looking for God to direct my path. And there was a wonderful gentleman by the name of Eric Keck, who had just moved to Colorado, was a brand new city manager in the city of Englewood, prominent city, borders Denver, big city. Um, and I said, uh, I I'd like to meet this guy. So we met. And uh, we immediately hit it off. And not long after we met, probably months, uh, he called me and said, Murphy, I need you to come over and I need you to be my assistant city manager, chief of staff of my agency, kind of run operations. And at that time I said, oh, Eric, you know, that's great. I just got promoted. Uh, So, you know, uh, go through the process, see if you can find somebody and we'll talk if you can. And he went through the process, interviewed with some folks. And he said, Murphy, I, I went through the process. I couldn't find anybody that I liked that was that has your skill set. I yeah. need you to come over. At that time, there were some things going on um, that I won't get into, but it was interesting. And I said, uh, you know what? I like your ethics, your morals, yeah. and you're just a good man, and I love your vision for the city. I'm coming. So I went over to Englewood as the assistant city manager and chief of staff. That is crazy. And it, and you're 26, 27 years old? Right? Mm-hmm. How, now— that yeah, is, that's pretty amazing it's to think crazy. about the position, you know, that people, you know, don't usually get to their 40s or 50s. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. And so did 60s. you have, <laughs> yeah. you know, did you have any um, insecurities or fears, you know, that you're thinking, man, I'm like 27 years old, 26, and I'm going to be in charge of like thousands of people and helping, mm. you know, or did it just you just always had that confidence and, and what about you to just say and it's not about your age. It's about your, your knowledge and, and your hustle. I would say it's mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say at this age, even now, um, you are constantly reminded by other people that you're young. Yeah. Um, but at this point, when you get to an executive level position, um, especially young or not, you have to have the confidence to right. do the job or you shouldn't be there. Yeah. And so it was never a question of confidence. It was a question of uh uh, making sure that I constantly reminded myself that it's not about my age and it's not about what other people think. Right. Um, it's more about what I can do. Yeah, because now, I mean, you have a you work for the city of Denver as an you're, it's like an appointed position by the mayor. Mm-hmm. What's your exact title? Executive director of general services, and I'm a cabinet member. A cabinet member. I mean, so mm-hmm. that and 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 how old are you right now? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. You're not even thirty yet. Nope. And you're freaking crushing. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty awesome uh-huh. to think about, like, where you've come from. <laughs> this scrappy little kid with high waters. Right. Oh, Jesus. You know, yeah. getting appointed by the mayor of Denver, one of, like, mm-hmm. the largest cities and upcoming cities in America. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like. It's a blessing. That's awesome, man. That's, it's humbling. It's, it's pretty crazy. And so now, I mean. Who knows that you're gonna be you're gonna be governor of Colorado before we know oh it. Oh boy, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Dude, um, that's so. This is this is so awesome. So I mean, now you obviously Denver is a huge city. Mm-hmm. It's constantly growing. It's mm-hmm. thriving, and so you're in charge of general services, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of things that go on as far as facilities and other things like that here in Denver, right? Yeah. So general services. 
um, is the multifaceted organization, I like to call it. So we are the internal service organization that kind of serves the rest of the city. Mm-hmm. So we have about 6 million square feet of facilities, 130-ish, almost 160, really, uh, facilities uh, under general services. We, have, we do about $600 million uh, a year in purchasing. So I have purchasing and procurement. Um, and we uh, about an $80 million uh, operating budget. And then I'm the cabinet official over arts and venues. I don't run arts and venues, though. I make that very clear. There's a wonderful guy that runs arts and venues, but I am the cabinet member that represents arts and venues because mm. they fall under general services. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah. And, Huge uh, responsibility. Yeah, security, citywide security is yeah. under us as well, and citywide contracts. Wow. That's amazing, man. Yeah. So I want to get a little bit into some personal stuff you know okay. like your favorite food your oh first boy. car like sure, all that kind yeah. of stuff kind of get to yeah, know yeah, you yeah. um what are have you you you've mentioned a couple times that you've had some mentors in your life oh that my people gosh. have pointed you in the right direction mm-hmm. older wiser people in your life and mm-hmm. i mean i'm assuming too you know when you're so young right mm-hmm. like there's a lot of things you just haven't experienced cuz you hadn't had enough time so it's very invaluable to have people who've been down the road a little bit to speak into your life. So, you know, is there any, like a couple, maybe, maybe one Hmm. or two different ideas or thoughts that maybe someone's spoken to your life? Oh my gosh. I know it's probably hard to pick. Oh, it's not. But but what are, what are some of those things that, you know, you know, um, one of my mentors, Charles P. Gallagher, he's a huge business owner in the city, but he's like my grandfather, Mm -hmm. one of them, should I say. Uh, And uh, he always imparts lots of knowledge to me. Um, and, uh, one, I'll tell you kind of the phases, right? Uh, one of the sayings that he says, and if I ever write a book, this is going to be in it, but he, he, when I was stuck as a police officer and when I say stuck, he told me I was stuck, um, because I, I didn't make a decision to get out as soon as, sooner than he liked right? Um, and so he told me, he's like, you know, Murphy, he gave me this little thing, um, this little, uh, little gadget i don't know what to call it little turtle is what it was okay and i said what is this mr gallagher he said this is a turtle and you always keep it and i said how come he said well murphy here's a thing a turtle is protected by its shell and when the turtle sleeps they're in their shell i said he said but in order for a turtle to move he has to stick his neck out there Hmm. and he has to risk he has to take a risk stick his neck out but then as soon as he sticks his neck out, he moves. He said, that's what life is all about. He said, in order to move, in order to do things and do things well, you have to stick your neck out. You have to move. He said, so be like a turtle. Get out there. Stick your neck out. And he gave me a turtle. To this day, I have it. That's awesome. The other thing he told me, which is uh, people always ask me how I do it, and I never knew how to explain it to them and until Mr. Gallagher told me, this term and this was recently uh through one of our wonderful conversations he said uh we were talking about management and we we're talking about how um at my age or even uh, any manager when they manage a large organization that you can't always be in the weeds and i was talking through that with him and mm-hmm. saying you know i have all these things happening and blah blah but I, as a as a chief executive of my agency I can't be in the weeds as much as I have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said, Murphy, if you don't learn anything else from me, <laughs> he said, uh, if you don't know your diamonds, 
know your jewelers. Hmm. And that stuck with me. And what that means is um, we all have diamonds, right? We all have things that we have to get done and the, the, the elements of our job that makes us successful. But as a manager, as a director, as a leader, as a chief executive, you can't always know your diamonds. Like I, as a guy who runs facilities, I don't know the first thing about a BAS system, right? I don't know the first thing. Well, I know a little bit about it. But right. <laughs> I don't know how to go and tune up a, uh, a air conditioning unit, right? But my jewelers do. And the jewelers are the people who know their craft, who are good at their craft, who um, know what they're doing and how to manage and how to be successful in what they're doing. And so he said, if you don't know your diamonds, know your jewelers. And so making sure that the management team can reflect your vision, making sure that the management team um, and the people under you that report to you uh, know what they're doing, know the technical piece, but also it's very important that they're the leaders that um, can reflect the type of leadership that you want. Hmm. At least that's what I took out of that. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to hear this and be like, I meant something completely Exactly. <laughs> I actually was actually talking about diamonds. I was like, I was really, like, do you have any jewelers? Exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's awesome. All right. Uh, favorite food. What's your favorite food, man? Oh, man. You know what? I have this buddy who made <laughs> some Peruvian food or Persian food Persian one time. Pounds. Oh, my gosh. So good. You know, his name is Mark Labriola. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I actually I love all food. Yeah. I think probably my favorite is sushi, oh. uh, sashimi. Really? Yeah, just raw oh, I can't raw get down. fish. I can't get down. Just raw fish. That's just it's too. Oh my the gosh. Texture. I love it. Oh, I love it. The other thing after that is uh, uh, Mediterranean type food. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, love okay. it all day. First first car. Old beat up Jeep Cherokee. Nice. I had a few Jeeps in my life but yeah she was ugly but it was wonderful it was like an 80 82 83 jeep cherokee okay. mm -hmm. what is uh maybe one thing about you that you know someone wouldn't know i mean you're a twin mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. crazy mm -hmm. <laughs> you have something any like hidden skills me. or something like that or um no well they're hidden so <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know yeah um <laughs> you know i i think uh, a lot of folks find it interesting that I love. So my wife would say this. I'll say what my wife would say, yeah. and then I'll say what I would say. My wife would tell you that I spend a lot of time uh, figuring out little stupid facts. Yeah, I like knowledge, right? And I'm not the traditional. I like to read, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not traditional. Read a book all day long right. on my off time. But I love YouTube. <laughs> yeah, and I love websites and articles. Wikipedia. And Wikipedia, all that stuff. And I love finding out facts, right? So yeah. my wife is always saying, for some reason you always know these random facts and I don't know where you get them from. But that's why I'm always reading articles Dude, and figuring out facts. Too. And yeah, Bro. see? And my wife's that's like, it. oh, you just pretend like you know everything. I was like, no, no. I just like to read. That's I just know exactly a lot right. about a little. That's, you know? th thank you. <laughs> thank like, you. That's it. I'm going to use that. I know a lot about a little. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my enjoyment. Like my wife will be like, why are you watching how it's made hot dogs. I was like, don't you ever want to know how a hot dog is made? <laughs> and so, you know, Play-Doh. Like, that's, yeah. those are the kind of things that interest me. Yeah. And so that's a, a big one. The other one is I love airplanes. Mm. Um, I could look at airplanes and do flying stuff all day long. I love them since I was a little boy. So um, I'm always on the flight simulator. Nice. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, um, 
I appreciate you so much, and thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. And, uh, sharing your story, uh, you know, through your trials and your successes. And I think it's, I think the big takeaway, you know, for me, and I hope those that are listening to the show and, and participating, I hope that they take away that if you believe in yourself, mm -hmm. if you don't allow people to define you, but allow yourself to be, you know, define yourself, and then work hard stick your neck out there mm -hmm. you'll be successful and trust god that's and a trust one. god <laughs> Boom. that's right but i mean i think that's i think that's powerful i mean especially for the you know there, i know there's so many people out there who who work a job who clock in day in and day out mm -hmm. and maybe they're ready to to give up or or they're just know that there's more out there well if you're gonna go get that you you have to go get it mm -hmm. right it's that's not right. just gonna show up you're that's gonna right. you have to take chances you have to put your requests out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like every single time is you knew what you wanted and then you found who was in charge of that and you went out and said, hey, I want that. That's right. And so go out there, get what you want, work hard, and you will succeed. Murphy Robinson, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you much, we'll sir. We'll see you again soon. All right, we'll see All you. Right. Thank you so much for tuning in to How'd You Get Here. I hope this episode inspired and encouraged you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play or really wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone who'd be a great guest or if you have a recommendation for someone for us to interview so we can hear their story of encouragement, please go to howdyougethere.com and submit that request there. Remember, you're not so far from where you want to be and you have what it takes within you to be successful.